0: If you have your Bibles, we're going to end up in Proverbs chapter 3, but uh, we're going to kind of be uh, bouncing around as we finish up this series that we've been calling Christian Atheists. Uh, it's there on your bulletin cover. It's, uh, it's basically, uh, we're going to talk about trust today, but it's basically uh, it stems from a, a quote that I read in a book called The Christian Atheist uh, by Craig Rochelle, and the quote says this, that uh, there's lots of people, a Christian Atheist, can you go to the next slide, please? There we go. A Christian, <laughs> a Christian Atheist is someone who believes in God but lives like he doesn't exist. This is the last sermon in this series. We'll start a new series next week on the book of James called uh, Life According to Jim. You're going to want to come and uh, uh, hear about those things and and, uh, and just read the book of James in preparation for that. But uh, we're going to finish uh, this series talking about something that no one sermon can fully contain. I read a whole book this week. I encourage you to go and get it. It's a book by a guy named Jerry Bridges. It's called Trusting God and uh, a very thorough. Uh, Dealing uh, with uh, this this subject, but it was you know a couple hundred three hundred pages uh, i can 't disseminate all that into forty minutes. just not going to happen so uh uh, what I do want us to talk about today, though, is is, is how uh, we can believe in God but not trust him. Like like the first week we were here together, we talked about the fact that a lot of people uh, believe in God but don't really know him, and we call that cultural Christianity, and that's a form of Christian atheism, all right? You, you're just, it's ignorance, perhaps, or it's just not knowing, but you, you believe in God, but you don't know God through faith in Jesus Christ, and we want everybody in here to have a relationship with God uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. I forgot to mention that someone else this week put their faith in uh, Christ. And that that's uh, something we celebrate around here. But we don't want to be a church where people can kind of just come and know about God. We want people to know God. Everybody with me on that? Uh, so we talked about cultural Christianity. Next week we talked about believing in God but not fearing Him and how we, we, kind of, we, we can settle for a customized Christianity. We can take the parts of the Bible that we really like, you know, the, the really good stuff for us, you know, the... The fact that he uh, uh, loves us and is gracious to us and is merciful to us, that he has a plan for our lives to prosper, all those things we love, but then all of the things that we don't like, like uh, uh, we need to be obedient in this area or that area. We need to uh, be servants and, and surrender to all those things. We don't really like that. And so uh, we basically just customize our Christianity. It's cafeteria Christianity. We take what we like and leave what we don't. We don't want to do that either. Uh, that is a Christianity that's marked by defiance. And we uh, understand around here as a church that we exist to surrender to God fully, everything, all of it, not leaving anything behind. And uh, we talked about that the second week. Last week we came together and we talked about comfortable Christianity. Comfortable Christianity is this kind of akin to customized Christianity, but it's, it's this Christianity that says, you know what, I, I believe in God, I want to serve him in the places that I do and the ways that I do, uh, but I'm not going to do anything that makes me uncomfortable for him. I'm, I'm just going to try to stay cozy in this faith We talked about how uh, this lukewarm mentality, this kind of good enough uh, but not far enough faith, uh, it's something that God's pretty contemptible of. He's not excited about that. We read Revelation in the Church of Laodicea and their story. So again, it's just another call for us to go full on, full out, uh, fully surrender to God in all things. And today, we're going to finish up talking about controlled Christianity. Christianity where people believe in God but they don't quite trust him. Christians have grown uh, in their life with Christ or who have grown in their life with Christ. They understand that that trust is a major component of the Christian life. Like David was writing in in Psalm uh, 10 and he says this, uh, excuse me, Psalm 9 verse 10. He says, those who know your name, those who've really gotten to know you, those who understand who you are, God, they put their trust in you because you have not forsaken those who seek you. Uh, God, it tells us in the Bible, uh, never leaves us or forsakes us. That he is a constant. We sang about those things this morning. He's our anchor. He's a sure thing. He's the one true God. And as we get to know him, it gets easier to trust him. But as we're getting to know him, maybe it's not so easy to trust him. And even some of us, listen, we've gotten to know God, but there's still like these, here we go again, these pockets of of life that we just haven't trusted him with fully. We come by that honestly as a human race. We are a cautious breed. Has anybody been in that long line where Someone is asked to volunteer, and everybody else takes a step back. Anybody been in that line? And you're the you're the poor guy who wasn't in on the uh, you know the, the the game, and you're like, oh, I'm the I'm the volunteer. I mean, our, I I we we work with the wana kids, and there's there's usually like two or three kids who are like up for anything. I'll do it. I don't care. What, I'll eat that. Fine. But but the, most of the kids you talk to, they're like, you go. Ever seen the you go? Uh, And these little kids just start pushing each other in front so that they don't have to go on the other. Why? Because for for our own good, God has kind of given us this this cautious gene. Be careful. Look before you. Yeah, don't don't just kind of run out there and put yourself in harm's way. Uh, Certainly to an extent, that's a very favorable part of our makeup. But sometimes uh, that caution can become control. And and we're not going to allow anything to happen that we don't know fully before it happens. Uh, we need details. Uh, and and not just just details about unforeseen or un, un uh, things that haven't happened yet. But but we love to control anyway. Everybody of us, every, every one of us, likes to be God in our own little world. We like to control things. Like the uh, remote control. Control the control. He who holds the remote. Controls the entertainment, right? And I'd rather watch games than people buying wedding dresses, <laughs> right? He who uh, he who drives controls the quality of the ride. Uh, my father, as he was aging, God bless uh, my dad. Uh, he's been gone for four or five years now. But as he was aging and taking more and more pills for his illnesses, he, he became—he wasn't great to start with—but he became really kind of not uh, good at driving. And so we kind of made a deal. Uh, when we're in the car together, you're going to be somewhere to my right. <laughs> if we could be in the back seat, I want you over there. But if, definitely if we're in the front seat, I want you over there because I want to make sure that we get where we're going, right? Uh, control kind of seeps out of us in all kinds of ways. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or point your fingers, but every one of us uh, uh, probably has a little controller in them in some area of our life. It's just our human nature. Caution and control That's how we like things. So if you struggle with trust, you're not alone. You're not alone. All of us struggle with trust. And all of the people in the scriptures, I mean almost all of them, uh, have instances in their life where they struggle with trust too. I've been studying Genesis in my life group for the last six or eight months with the guys, and uh, we get to the story of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, that guy. And uh, Abraham, this giant of the faith, this man that God uh, chose above all men to be his chosen one and for his people to derive from or to, to, to stem from, uh, Abraham had these, these moments, these pockets of distrust that just made things kind of kooky for a while. Did you know that not once but twice he told men in power uh, in a situation that he found himself in that his wife was his sister for fear that... Uh, if He was told, that, told them that he was married to them, they'd kill him to take her from him. Read the Bible. it's in there. Father Abraham uh, played Sarah out as his sister. And both times it didn't go well for the guy who was interested in Sarah, by the way, and both times the guy was like, "Why didn't you just tell me?" And both times Abraham was like, da, 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 right? <laughs> but if he could put into words what was really happening in those moments, he would say something like this: "I was afraid." I didn't believe that God could handle this situation, and so I took it into my own hands. I made a choice. I cleared my own path, and I went where I thought best. You go forward in the Bible, just another book in the book of Exodus, uh, Moses gets to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. It's One of my favorite stories. They should make a movie about it. Oh, they've made several. That's right. He gets them out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, there's just miracle after miracle They're being fed from heaven uh, with this bread called manna. I mean, it's just, for all the people who ever lived in the history of the world, they saw God do more stuff in their 40 or 50 years following him uh, during that period of time. But, but here's the deal, they got right up to the, to the borders of the promised land that they have been freed from Egypt to go and inhabit. You may remember that, they sent in some spies, 12 people to kind of scope it out. Ten guys came back, said, "No way, no how." There be giants over there. Joshua and Caleb came back, and they're like, "Come on, this is why we left the campground. This is why we're here. Let's take the land." But in a in a fine show of how democracy cannot always be right, uh, the vote ten to two won the day. And Moses was frustrated. That the people wouldn't follow him into the land. He says as much uh, here in the book of Deuteronomy. And we're talking about, I forgot to tell you this, we're talking about, can I go back to that blank? We're talking about how the, the fear of the future can keep us from trusting God. It kept Abraham from trusting God. We didn't know what was going to happen if he told him that Sarah was his wife. It kept uh, the children of Israel from trusting God because they didn't know what was going to happen if they went and did battle with all these uh, warring tribes that inhabited their promised land. Look what it says, Moses. Says this, and when the Lord sent you, he's talking to the children of Israel. He says, When the Lord sent you from Cadus Barnea and, and, he's, and said, Go up and take possession of the land that I've given you. Everybody see the past tense there? Take possession of the land that I've what? It's already done. Go make this happen. What are you waiting for? It's already yours. He says, It's then that you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. And you did not believe him. In other translations, they take this Hebrew word and they say, You did not trust him. And because you didn't trust him for your future, you refused to obey him in your present. See how that works? Trust is a big deal. If you don't trust God, it's almost impossible to obey God because you're not going to do what he tells you to do. You'll be too fearful of the results. Moses goes on and he says this He says, You've been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. And that is unfortunately the condition. Of everybody as we war with the old man and try to grow into the new man or the new woman that we become in Christ, there is this constant clinging to this fear of our future. We want assurances, a detailing of the cost and the outcome before we trust. We're good business people. You know, what are my returns on this deal? How can I be sure that this is going to be worthwhile? Anybody ever done that in trying to figure out what to do next? And listen, I'm not, and I'm not bagging on wisdom. Please, be wise. Do pros and cons. Uh, uh, I think God deals uh, with us in wisdom, and he's not going to always lead us to do the craziest thing in the list. But, but there are going to be times, people, where the pros and cons point us in a direction other than what God wants us to go in. Where, where we might have to risk and, and trust beyond what we're comfortable with in order for us to realize his best in our lives. But, but here, here's, what's, here's what kind of we want. This is what we want. We want God to prove himself so that he, we can trust him. Hey, God, <laughs> you show me, uh, you know, maybe steps one, two, and three of these five steps that I need to take. If you could show me that and, and clarify that for sure and make that solid, then I'll do steps four and five with you. Give me a little something here, a little Collateral. Let's put something down on this deal, God. Show me what's going on. Some of us, that's not even enough. We're like, I need to know every step of this, God. Before I reinvest in this uh, failing relationship that the other person is finally coming around and saying, yeah, I'll try, well, I got to know that this is going to work out exactly the way I want it to work out before I venture back into a position where I could be hurt. It's like uh, we're the African Impala Anybody seen those little deer-like things? Not the cars. That's why I said the African ones, so you weren't thinking like, eh. But uh, this little animal is an amazing athlete. You ever seen the Impala move? You ever watched that on, like, National Geographic? Those suckers can go. They're only about this tall. They're not that big a deer, all right? Uh, And they kind of bounce around the African plains, and they can jump as high as 10 feet off the ground. They are like NBA all-stars. They would be... You know, just uh, amazing uh, uh, in their jumping abilities, and they can when they get going, when they get a good head of steam, they can jump from here to thirty feet that way, thirty feet. I think that's longer than the long jump record, isn't that right? I mean, that's, that's pretty good for this little four legger uh, animal, right? But you know what? You can get all these impalas together, and you can take them to any zoo in America, and you can keep them there with a three foot fence. Isn't that crazy? Three feet, they can go go ten, easily jumping that thing, right? Shoot, they could probably go ten feet and jump out of the entire zoo if they're close enough to the outside wall, right? But why don't they do it? It's real simple. It's not a chain link fence. It's a solid fence. You know why they put solid fences around impalas at the zoo? Because if the impala can't see where he's going to land, he ain't going to jump. Just won't risk it. Won't do it. Got all the ability that he needs to be free. But because he can't see where he's going to land, he's staying put. Three foot fence keeps the 10 foot jumper inside. See how that kind of can relate to us? Because we can't see where we're going. We got all this power in our relationship with God behind us. The children of Israel uh, had, it had already been decided. Go into this promised land that I've given you. but Because they couldn't see the future. They couldn't understand the costs. uh, They they stayed in the wilderness and wandered about. We want God to prove himself so we can trust him. But God wants us to trust him so that he can prove himself to us. Just trust me a little bit and you're going to see that the things I have for you are going to be far better than staying in the zoo. I took uh, Cooper when he was, I think, in sixth grade or something like that, on his sixth grade birthday uh, to Busch Gardens. Uh, that was several years ago now. And uh, he, was, he was still just, you know, a, a younger guy, and uh, but had just gotten tall enough to ride the Sheikra. That's when the Sheikra was the brand-new roller coaster. And so uh, he and his brother and all of his friends, that you know, two or three guys that uh, I paid to go to, Bush Gardens, we all got in line, waited like an hour and a half. It was a brand new ride. The, lo- the wait was long, right? And we got all the way to the top of this roller coaster. We got all the way buckled into our, our seats, you know. And, uh, and, and, and I looked at Cooper and he was not doing well. <laughs> this, this anticipation and this buildup, which for the rest of us was just making us more sight, you know, to go four billion miles an hour down and loop-de-loop, 60... 60- It it was, because Cooper had never done this before, it was making him more and more uh, fearful. And it just boiled to a point where there, just as we're about uh, to be sent up the, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, He looked at me and through tears, my sweet little boy, just, I can't do it. And and I'm, I'm looking at Cooper and I'm like, oh, bro, you don't know what awaits us. This is one of the greatest roller coasters in the world right now. This is going to be the best thing that's happened to us all day. We waited two hours. <laughs> and you can judge me. <laughs> I can take it. But after trying to encourage my boy to stay on the secret, he's like, I couldn't do it. And I said, well, you go wait over there because <laughs> the rest of us are going. And he, right, now listen, was, was it a great ride? Absolutely. Was it kind of a bummer for me? Yeah. And an and even greater bummer for me because in that moment, he had been waiting just to grow to the height where he could stand under Bugs Buddy hands or whatever that is and, and be tall enough for this thing. And after experiencing it for the first time and all these other kids going like, Wah! you know, and just freaking out on this thing, I came down and I'm like, oh, buddy, you missed it. <laughs> Didn't rub it in his face. Don't, I'm not that bad. But my, my heart broke for my kid on two levels. That he couldn't risk and that he had missed, right? I think God's heart breaks for us all the time because we just won't trust him enough to start. We won't trust him enough just to take that first step. We won't trust him enough to stay in the chair and just see how this turns out. We step aside, we, we forge our own path we miss out on his very best for us God wants us to trust him with our future but God also wants us to trust him uh, with the things that have disappointed in our past sometimes the fear of the future keeps us from trusting God but sometimes the pains of our past keep us from trusting God this this whole thing is, is basically fool me once shame on me or how's that go? Shame on you. Right. Got to get the saying right if you're going to preach, everybody, just so you know. (laughs) Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. No, did it wrong again. (laughs) Does everybody know the saying? (laughs) I'm just kidding. If you don't know, just ask somebody else because your pastor can. (laughs) Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. (laughs) Yay, shame on me. Now. Is this, is this biblical? Is this a verse in the scriptures? No, it's not. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a wisdom that humans have fashioned for themselves. And, and listen, there are certain parts of that that are absolutely good and true, and we shouldn't just put ourselves in uh, harm's way. Or but when it's, listen, when it's applied to what God has allowed to happen in our lives, when we look at God and say, hey, God, you disappointed me in this first marriage of mine. And we blame him for the things that have blown up in our past. And we let those blow-ups, those pains, those hurts, keep him or keep us from trusting him in the next iterations of our lives. I've heard that from people all the time. I used to go to church. I used to trust God. I used to, you know, uh, sing the songs and, and read the book and, and all the stuff that was Christian-y. But then I had this one disappointment. And that one disappointment took all of my trust and faith away. They're angry. And listen, this goes to the two whys that you can ask God. Everybody ready? W-H-Y is what I'm saying. There's two whys. Why? There's two whys that you can ask of God. The first one is a proper why, okay? It's the kind of why that starts uh, at least three of the Psalms where David uh, comes to God and says, God, why? Why are you letting these people chase me from cave to cave? Speaking of Saul. Why do you allow those who are evil to oppress those who are good? These are honest, uh, uh, acceptable questions of God. What are they doing? They're saying, I don't get it. I don't get it, God. How could this be a part of your plan? Why? Why is from ignorance? Why is from not knowing? Acceptable to God. Does anybody here know everything about God? The Bible says you don't if you think you do. It says his thoughts are not your thoughts. That his ways are above us. That we're never going to understand. And listen, we can't expect, we're finite, we're we're limited, and and we're going to look at things through our lens and define things as being good or evil or whatever based on what we think and what we see, right? That's, That's what we got. But God sees the whole picture. God understands how, and has anybody ever been there? You went through a really tough time and you're like, what was that for? And then like five years later you're like, oh, That was, I mean, it wasn't great, I don't want to do it again, but I went through that for this, or at least in part for this, and while you're going through it, you can't see this, but God does, and so it's entirely okay. If you're wondering if you can ever question God, I think it's totally fine to come to God and in your ignorance say, God, I don't understand, but in every one of those psalms that starts with the word why, you know how they end? There's usually this pivot word somewhere in the psalm, but. After you get done with all the whys, here comes that great but in the Bible. But you are God. But I will trust you. But you are faithful. Even though I don't understand, still I will follow. That's the acceptable why. You know what the unacceptable why is? Or the most damaging why is? It's the why that persists. The why that uh, drags us down into doubt and disbelief. The why that doesn't accept the fact that that God knows better than us. The why that just says, no, God, you blew it. And because you blew it, so says me, I'm out. Oh, that we, in our hurts and in our pains, could be like this father that Jesus met uh, in Mark chapter nine. In Mark chapter nine, Jesus comes across this uh, this young man, he's a young man now, uh, and he's demon-possessed. Uh, something, this is a sermon sidebar, something I totally believe happens. We don't see a ton of it, uh, or at least recognize a ton of it, uh, but I know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, uh, that this is a spiritual war that we're a part of, and so I believe in uh, demons and their existence, their oppression and their possession in some cases, and And in this one particular case, uh, this guy's been possessed and he's just terrorized his town and he's broken the heart of his family as he continues to struggle with the presence of this evil force in his life. Uh, Jesus asked his father in Mark chapter 9, Hey, how long has this been happening to your son? By the way, every time Jesus asked a question, he already knew the answer. Everybody knows that, right? He's not actually looking for information. He's just setting up a conversation. The father says to him, from how long? From childhood. Now, I don't know when childhood or when this started in this kid's childhood, but it's been years. He's a young man now. And I'm guessing, as a good Jewish uh, family, they had prayed to uh, Abba, Father, uh, to deliver their son from this. Over and over again, year after year, they'd watched as their son suffered from these things. It, you could understand if they get kind of Tired in their trust. Could you understand that? It's from child, he says. And it's, it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But here, here it comes. Does everybody see, look, this next line. This is just the beginning of him trusting again. He says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, they just met, this, this dude and this the son of God, they just met uh, he's, he's heard about him by reputation. He's done a lot of miracles, water to wine, fed 5,000. He's rocking it. Uh, I heard you're, you're able to do incredible things if you can. It's just the beginning. He's just kind of testing the water. Ever done that? Ever been out there? There's like a, a, a plank that goes from here to there, and you're like, I don't know if that's going to hold my weight. You, some of you have never done this. I've done it a lot. Anyway. You just kind of tapping. That's all he's doing. He's just tapping. I'm not really sure if I can trust you yet, but I'm willing to stick my foot out there at least and find out. You see what Jesus says? Jesus says, if you can, excuse me? Baking powder? Those are lines from an old movie. Let's move on. Anyway, um, pardon me, what'd you just say? If I can, apparently you don't know who you're talking to. Now he's not being cocky or arrogant. But as the son of God, he's like, oh, bro, if I can, you're going to love this, bro. I totally can. He says, all things are possible. And what's the condition? For the one who believes. So, so here's what you got to understand. If you refuse to trust, even after all your hurts, your refusal to trust shuts off. It's like a vow that you close. It shuts off all the other ways that God... Could intervene on your behalf because you're refusing to trust him with this part. Are you with me? He says, m-m-m- "All things are possible on the condition that you believe." What does it say in James? Hey, pray, but pray believing, pray trusting. To pray without trust is is to just utter empty words. But if you pray believing, it doesn't guarantee. Listen, this is not the candy store. Jesus is not introducing himself as uh, E5, just put in your prayers or put in your requests and push E5 and you'll get anything else you want out of the machine okay, that's not what he's saying here but he's saying hey, ain't no candy coming out if you don't put your trust in mom would be mad I said ain't let's keep going immediately it says the father of the child cried out and he said I believe but then he says this everybody say it with me Help me with my unbelief. That's kind of a funny thing to say. I believe, but I don't. Help me. I think it's an honest thing to say. Because as your pastor, uh, as a professional Christian, uh, I, I can tell you that I believe in God. And I trust him in most things. But there are still things in my life where I come up against it and I'm like, oh Lord, help me believe. You know what one of the ones most recent ones in our history was? Rise up. I've told you that story before. I was here like eight years and knew that we needed to be out of debt from the time I got here. Talked with our board, prayed about it, tried to figure out ways that we could do it instead of just asking you guys to, you know, pool together our resources and get out of debt. You know why I never asked you to do that? I didn't believe. I didn't trust. And think that God could work that way. It was a blind spot for me. And so finally, uh, I had a prayer like this, "God, I believe. but help me with my unbelief." And we launched rise up. and we knocked out three and a half million dollars of debt in a little over two and a half years. Praise God? Yeah. Well listen, that doesn't happen except that we do this. And we start stepping out. And asking God to hold us up where we know that we can't hold ourselves. I guess what I'm saying is that I want to come against uh, the Christian atheist version of the Bible. We're finally going to get to Proverbs. Here it is. This is the Christian atheist version of the Bible. Uh, Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Lean mostly on your own understanding. Keep going. In in most of your ways, acknowledge him. uh, Because most of the time, you can make your own path straight. Everybody see how the Christian atheists kind of change things up. If you're not familiar with this text, here's how it really reads. It says this Trust in the Lord with how much? All of your heart. And don't lead on your own understanding. In how much? All your ways. Acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Can I answer one quick question for you? This this verse is, is basically telling us what a wholehearted trust in God looks like. It's all in. It's trusting God with all of our hearts. Acknowledging him in all of our ways. Now, how do I develop this wholehearted trust in God? How do I do that? Well, it starts uh, with what we see in verse six. Look at, let's look at verse five again. It says, "Trust in the Lord with all your hearts." That's an imperative. Solomon, who wrote this book to his sons uh, as a book of wisdom for them, he says, "Here, here! Above all things, trust in God with all your hearts. Give him everything you got, fellas. Trust him." Uh, don't lean on your own understanding. That's another imperative. It's the negative form of the prior line. Trust in God, don't trust in you. Okay? Everybody picking that up? But this next line becomes instructive. It's not just imperative, it's instructive. Because it helps us understand how you can trust in God with all your heart. How you can go against the human uh, flow of things, uh, which humans say, trust your own understanding. H- how, how can I uh, not be like other humans? And Well, it's right here. It says, in all your ways, what? acknowledge him you know what that uh, Hebrew word acknowledges yada everybody say yada Yada. who watched Seinfeld growing up anybody watch Seinfeld he made that word famous there's a whole episode called yada 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 who's ever used yada 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 in your life anybody ever said that what do you use it for you don't want to keep talking so you just fill in all the spaces that you were going to use words for and you just say yada 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 and so I then I went to the bank yada 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 so on, it's, it's basically another form of so on and so forth in our vernacular, but that's not what the Hebrew word means. The Hebrew word yada, which was used kind of in a flippant form in that episode of Seinfeld, means I know. Means I know. So when Jerry was saying, he was like, I know, I know, I know. But it doesn't just mean I generally know, it's it's this familiarity that breeds trust, which enables surrender, which brings blessing and grace. It's... It's not just this nod. When we read acknowledge in our Bibles, I don't know what you think, but I think of like, you know, kind of doing one of these when you see someone you know across the room. Anybody ever done that? You're just just letting them know, I know you're here. Hey. You know? Right? It's a a tip of the hat. It's not not an intimacy. It's not a, it's just like I acknowledge that you're present. and, and, And you can read this and you can say, in all my ways, just acknowledge him. Just recognize that there is a God and that he's here and that he's big and strong and whatever, you know. But that's not what the word means. Yada doesn't mean that. It means not just a nod, but coming to know and then submitting to someone by observing and reflecting and experiencing that person in your life. It's just, this, you ever heard this before? Familiarity breeds Trust that true? Like, would you just turn your kids over to a stranger off the street? Hey, I need to go somewhere. Can you watch these kids for the next three days? No. Some of you, like, you've had your first babies, and, and that first babysitter is going to be, you know, better vetted than, like, a member of the FBI. You're going to, like, Facebook them and background checks, and because you're not trusting someone uh, with someone that you're not familiar with. But your, your, your parents? Here, Mom, you know. Have a baby, I'll be uh, back on Monday, right? That's because you grew up with that one. You know what you're getting? She'll feed them eventually, right? Familiarity breeds trust. We know that it breeds contempt as well. That's another saying, but familiarity certainly breeds trust. The better I know you, the more I'll trust you. And that's, listen, when we come together on Sundays, that's what we're talking about talking to you about God so that you can know him better, you can understand him more fully so that you can get to the point where you trust him more so that the things that he hopes for your life you will step into and allow him to bring into your world. One of my favorite stories growing up as a youth pastor was about this guy named Charles Blondin. It's actually a French guy so it's probably uh, Charles Blondin. But uh, uh, he was a tightrope walker and he's famous. He's actually in the Smithsonian. You can go on the Smithsonian website and you can read about Charles Blondin as he walked across the tightrope over Niagara Falls. He he was he was just incredible because he did it once, you know, with his pole and stuff like that. But then he's like, you know, we got to trick it up. We got to keep people coming. There was this was how he made his money. People came, paid tickets to watch him walk across this tightrope. So he did it at night one time. People complained because they couldn't see him. So the next morning he did it blindfolded. Just so he could prove that he was walking across in the dark. He would push wheelbarrows full of potatoes. He rode a bike across it once. But his his most amazing feat was one day he came to the crowd and he said, you know what, I'm going to up the ante. I'm going to take someone across the line with me. And everybody was amazed. This is going to be incredible. And then he said to everybody in the crowd, who wants to be the one who will ride on my back across this wire? And everybody did this, right? <laughs> Except for one guy. His name, I gotta make sure I get it right. His name was Harry. Harry Colcord. Harry Colcord was Charles Blondin's manager. And I don't know what bet he lost, but Charles Blondin got Harry Colcord to agree to climb on his back and walk across this wire. And So there were they were Harry on the back of Charles. Can you imagine that first step? I mean, you've left terra firma and you're on this little two or three inch wire. It can feel like that sometimes with God. We climb on his back and we're like, What am I doing? They actually have on the Smithsonian website the words uh, that are believed to be what uh Uh, Charles Blondin said to Harry Colcord as he started across the wire. You want to hear him? They're pretty cool. Uh, He said this to him first. He says, Harry, look up. Don't look down. Don't look down, bro. It's going to be bad for both of us. Keep your eyes on the sky. And then he said this to him. He says, you are no longer Colcord. You are Blondin. It's not two of us up here in this wire. It's just one of us. He says, until I clear this place, you need to be a part of me, mind and body and soul. He said, if I sway, sway with me, baby. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we're both going to die. I think those are the words that God says to us every time He asks us to trust Him, except for that last part God's never going to die. But just like Peter, when he got out of the boat, remember that perfectly good boat in that storm? And he's out there walking on the waves with Jesus. As soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, what happened? Someone was going to die. And Jesus, in his grace, reached down and pulled that drowner out. And he says to Pete, ah, Pete, eyes here, pal. Trust me get through this. You may, listen, you may not understand. It may be painful. It's certainly going to be scary, but I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I have been faithful. My purposes have never been thwarted. I will never fail. All things are in my power. I'm sovereign. I'm good. I'm all loving. That doesn't change. You can trust me just fix your eyes on me. we won't make it through. you bow your heads? I can't help but think as we're talking about trust, there might be an area in your life where um, it's just hard for you to trust God with it. It could be a, a hurt from your past uh, that you just can't let go of. It could be a hurt from your present. And you sense God leading you into a future that's unsure and, and he wants you to trust him, but it's just hard for you to let yourself surrender that part of your life. Whatever that area is for you, if, if there is an area, I'm just going to lead us in a prayer for that this morning. And we're just going to ask God to give us, uh, like he gave Joshua when he went into the land. God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. You know what that's code for? Trust me. And we're just going to ask God to make us strong and courageous. You got that thought in your head? You have to pray this out loud, but just pray these words in your heart as we seek to trust God more fully. Say something like this, God, I know you're God. (laughs) I know you're able. That all things are possible if I believe. I don't know what your plan for me is. I don't know how this is going to work out. But regardless of that, I want to trust you. I want to follow you. Help me to get to know you better so that I trust you more. And help me to trust you more so that I can have your very best for my life, make my path straight. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. May God lead us to trust him in all things, because he is our God. He is a